What do you think has been the most important skill that's allowed you to go from where we were talking about just now to the success that you've had today? Um, unbelievable mental strength that I had to develop. I've had to work as hard as three people. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. As always, I have a really powerful guest for you today. I'm really excited to bring Dr. Rob Garcia. He's an award-winning business strategist out of San Diego, a former high school dropout turned PhD, which we're going to get into in a little bit in the episode. He is an eight-time author, the owner of Shift Magazine, which is a fantastic business entrepreneurship success-related magazine out of San Diego, and teaches experts how to be highly visible industry leaders. I'm really excited to bring him on. He's somebody that I've gotten to know over the last year or so. And I just love what he's doing. He's so incredibly helpful and really cares about the success of everybody that he works with. Really quickly, before we bring him on, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. And if you are somebody who has been working to get that success that you've always dreamed of, and no matter how hard you work, it seems that it's just further and further away, like that proverbial pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, something you can just never reach. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that your definition of success is not clear enough. Your reality of what it is you want to accomplish is not clear enough. If you are ready to finally understand what success means and be able to create it and achieve it in your life, then head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com slash contact. Let's jump on a call together and see what we can do to help you design your life and have the courage to live it. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this amazing conversation with Dr. Rob. Good morning, Rob. Thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Hey, good morning, Amber. Uh, glad to be here. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I always start with the same question and I do it for a particular purpose. So when you look back at 12, 13, 14, whatever age it is for you, where we know it all, we don't need any more information, we know exactly what we're going to do with the rest of our life, because that's the way that teenagers work. What was your life going to look like? What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that, well, uh, my answer is going to be very different from I'm sure most people's. Uh, at that time, I was being raised by a drug addict. I mm. didn't expect to go to college and I had severe anxiety to the point where I had uh, stomach ulcers because uh, trying to imagine my 20s. I had no hope. This is one of those things people experience and they don't want to talk about. And so I love that you started there. When you say trying to experience your 20s, were you trying to figure out whether you had them? Like, could you just not imagine making it to 20? Or what did you mean by that? I was just terrified because I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, visually grasp what that looked like for me because I never took my SATs. Uh, in, in when I was 14, like my report card was D's and F's. And I, I just was skateboarding every day. And uh, every day I'd come home to a hoarder house full of like cockroaches and mice mm. and the police would come by and arrest family members. And it was, uh, it wasn't a great time in my life. We talk a lot in situations like this about how the difference between somebody who pulls themselves out of that and somebody who doesn't often has a lot to do with the people that they're surrounded with. Was there a particular person or in a particular event that happened that caused you to say, wait a second, this doesn't have to be the way that I live? I'd love to say yes, but I just had to suffer through it. And um, 
I just had to, I had to eventually just leave my hometown and move 1500 miles away to give myself uh, space and distance from every person in my life, i.e. my family that was making horrible life choices. For a lot of people, I feel like they say that it's hard to leave, but for you, it sounds like it might've been a sense of freedom. Yeah, it was, um, it, it was a little scary. I was moving to Phoenix. I was moving to a city I'd never been to, to live with somebody I'd never met, to go to someplace where I didn't know anybody. And um, it was, I, I went there to go to school. I, you know, I tried to go to DeVry and just learn electronics. I kind of had the interest, um, but I had a learning disability too. So it was super hard for me to focus in a classroom. What do you think has been the most important skill that's allowed you to go from where we were talking about just now to the success that you've had today? Um, unbelievable mental strength that I had to develop. I've had to work as hard as three people uh, in my 20s and 30s to, uh, to be able to achieve the successes that I have. And um, I've, I've been in my 40s now. I've been able to relax a little bit and not be such a ball of fire. But it, it really was just developing mental temerity and doing stuff that most people have no um, inclination to do. My memory, if my memory serves me right, you have a military background, don't you? Were you in the yeah. military? Yeah, I'm still serving. I'm a, uh, I'm a master sergeant in the Air Force Reserves. I've been in uh, 21 years. I did five active. And that's that was my first step, actually, to having some semblance of success and, and structure in my life was the Air Force. What do you think the biggest lesson that the Air Force taught you? Is that where you got the mental um, strength that you are talking about that allowed you to be successful now, or did it start before that? Where do you think that began for you, for those people who may be kind of sitting in the middle of something similar? I evolved. Um, I went in and my only, my only two objectives when I first went in were finish college and have food. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it literally, that that's how simple my life was back then. And, uh, <clears throat> as I, as I did my job in Louisiana, I, I was also a volunteer uh, working at MDA and, and Schraner's Hospital and going to college uh, as much as I could and then um, also working a second job. Like I was just I was, you know, in your early 20s, you have boundless energy and <laughs> hope. So I was, yeah, I was just burning the candle at both ends. I, I didn't get married like a lot of my friends. I didn't um, I didn't get involved in any goofy activities. I, I just focused on some self-development and then. Uh, got out in 02 and, and moved to San Diego. And that's when the path got very, very nonlinear. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to describe entrepreneurship is just nonlinear. Um, a lot of people who would know you now, who meet you now, would know you as the PR guy, Shift Magazine, the, the person that helps people get in front of the people that they need to be talking to. When did that become a part of your journey? Um, I got into visibility. I, I figured out my, my business identity and this is where people's ears should be perking up because a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble niching down into what it is they want to do uh, because they're wildly creative and they have a million thoughts and they, they want to do all the things, but they, they shouldn't. Uh, they should do the thing that serves them and serves their audience the most. And so about six years ago, um, I just figured out I had two businesses to start with. I, I owned a skateboarding company for about a year and a half and actually did okay at it. And I, I just didn't run it like a business. I ran it like a hobby. Uh, lesson one. And then Common I, mistake for new business owners. Yep, exactly. And then um, I had so many people reaching out to me for advice that I did life coaching for like a year. And it was okay, but once again, I just, I just dabbled. I, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I, I had some programs and it just... It was, it was uh, very, um, very simple. And then I realized I like people. I don't like life coaching. I don't like trying to fix people's problems. <laughs> I do like research behind the scenes and I like making connections. So, and by that point I'd, I'd started getting interviews. So podcasts were new on the scene and people were, you know, getting interviews left and right. And I, I started just racking them up, just talking about my life. It wasn't even about entrepreneurship and it was about just, Hey, uh, this is how I got out of this god awful situation in this small town, and this is how I finished school, and this is how I, I started creating successes. Um, and so, after I'd probably landed fifty interviews, I'm like, I'm getting better at this. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding how pitches work. I'm understanding how to reach out to media owners and get that yes. I'm understanding how to leverage 
connections and create value and be a good guest. Uh, why can't I teach this? And that that's when it got into the PR stuff. It's <laughs> the most interesting thing for me about what you just said is that the number of amount of interviews that it took for you to finally start to feel like you we're onto something. I feel like people give up way too soon. Um, but the other side of this, we talked about 50 interviews. How many no's did you hear before you got to those 50 interviews? How many of those did you have to allow yourself to push through? The only no's I got were from the highest end podcast that only want to interview millionaires. Lewis House mm -hmm. said no. Um, uh, and a lot of them just didn't get back to me. And, that, and that's yeah. okay. I understand. Like when you have, you know, a Joe Rogan level show obviously it's more it's more impressive if you've only got you know uh, people that are super super rich or super influencers or have you know instagram followings like i get it but unfortunately when you when you filter out that deeply you also miss a lot of diamonds that are good yes aren't quite aren't quite diamonds yet yeah i've said that for a long time that um my um and i'm gonna be careful how i say this because i love every conversation I've had on this podcast. Um, but like any other conversation, some of them stick out more than others for me. And the ones that stick out at the top of my list are never the ones that I expected them to be. Um, and so it's always interesting to me when I look back and I'm like, well, had I, and I think that this is sales training 101, right? Like had I prejudged this situation, I would have missed out on this opportunity. Um, how much has that played into your life and how much do you think that your upbringing of, um, the experiences that we talked about previously allowed you to avoid, um, prejudging and getting blown away by the shiny objects that a lot of people look for when they see others? Does that question make sense? I know it was kind of long winded. No, it, it does. It, it, it just means like. How do I, you know, how do I filter through and real, really see the value, the evaluation yeah. of someone, even if they're non-traditional, we'll say. Um, I, I really gravitate to oddballs. And I, I mean that with love, absolute love and respect. Um, I, I gravitate to Asperger's people. I gravitate to autistics. I gravitate to people that are wildly talented and socially awkward as all hell. You know, the people that terrify me are the ones that have like the, the glamour photography, every photo and the scripted fonts. And, yes. You know, the photos in front of a waterfall in Costa Rica because they're so <laughs> deep and, you know, they never have issues with their husband and their lives are perfect. No, they're not. They're they're drinking bottles of wine every single night and crying to their therapist. They just don't tell anybody. Um, yeah. I ah. like people that are visibly damaged because I'm one of them. Right. And, and so growing up in such dysfunction. I think that's why I seek out these people that are, there's so many of them flying under the radar that are unbelievably talented and they just don't always feel comfortable in front of the camera. So that's why I love interacting with them, me. And I, I think that's why, that's why they, they, they seek me out because I'm easy to talk to. I'm just the, the kid that the skateboarding guy that, that grew up in a logging town and likes Iron Man. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not intimidating. I'm very plain looking. I don't, I, I'm not like a super alpha male, um, and, and so I, I, I try and be really friendly and it really shows in two ways. This, this is what's going to be interesting to you. It shows up when I have dinner parties at my house because it's going to be like five gay professionals, <laughs> two, two guys that I taught high school to 10 years ago, uh, you know, two skateboarders and then a bunch of like female real estate agents. It, it's the, the weirdest like United Nations mix of people you've ever seen. And then my um, my weekly group calls are the same way because I have I, I welcome anybody at my dinner table. Just don't don't be mean to women. Don't be misogynistic. You know, don't be creepy um, <laughs> and, and, and just understand basic respect for everybody. That, that's my you know hallmark. So it's it's kind of cool that a lot of different groups feel comfortable talking to me. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I was at PodFest, and I don't think that you and I have talked about this yet. Um, I was at PodFest, and there was somebody who had a booth there, and he has a podcast called Autism Speaks, and he's autistic. And his mom was there helping him run the booth. And I will never forget, like I was walking through the exhibitor hall, 
And all of a sudden, this like amazing, energetic human being like comes running at me like a freaking bull, right? Where you're like, I don't like, I don't know whether to get out of the way and let him pass. Like, I, I don't know, right? And he stops and he sticks his hand out and he's like, hi, my name is Sam. Can I show you about my podcast? And I was like, of course. And so we go over, they're talking about their foundation. He's talking about the podcast and they're talking about how there is a room and a space in creative um, environments for people from all ranges of personality spectrums and developmental spectrums and that their mission is to establish that. And then he says to me, the phrase that I really wish I could bottle and sell to the general public as like a nutritious vitamin for their mindset and their soul. Um, he says, I have a podcast. I'm autistic. I have a podcast. This is what I talk about. People who like it can listen and people who don't, the door's right there. And I was like, I love you so much right now. And how do we get others to approach life with the same vigor? I feel like, by nature, because of the way their brain has developed, and non-medical doctor here, um, the imposter syndrome that exists in our head doesn't exist for them in the same way that it does for us. And so those things that would normally stop us from trying things, they don't experience in the same way that we do. And in some way, I find that very freeing. Yeah, it, it's... Um... I feel like those filters, those uh, phantom filters that exist in a lot of our brains that limit us, um, don't yeah, don't exist in certain certain personality types and certain certain learning styles for sure. Um, a, a lot of people have asked me like, how do you get over fear of the camera? Or how do you get over you know being so public? I can never do that. And I'm like, sure you can. You just got to practice it. You got to yeah. You got to just just realize that any type of any type of media interviews are bigger than you. And when you're doing it, somebody needs to hear your message. Somebody, the best messages I ever get ever, my favorite is I needed this today. And so when people watch a video of mine or they see a post or it just like resonates with them, it's, it's, and they send me that message. I'm happy because I know that I know that I've done the right thing. So it's, it's anyone that's like nervous to get on TV or be on the news or, you know, do podcast interviews. Don't, don't think about you think about the person who has to hear your message and you're going to make their life better. And I think that the, the really important part about what you just said is that for every one person that reaches out to you and says, Hey, I needed this today. There's like 15 or 20 that aren't willing to reach out. And I experienced that with my show. I just about shut it down about eight months ago because I was frustrated. I was, I felt stagnant. I was like, does anybody actually listen to this? And then I got that one message. And then I realized like, even if it is just one, which I know it's not, how amazing is it that we get to be a part of that journey? Yeah, that's a that that's a very key point. I remind people about that one sometimes too. Like for the one person that's watching your Facebook Live, you know, there's a bunch of them that'll either tune in later or that saw it and just didn't have time to comment. So always, always put the, the content out, always make the effort. And you know, if there's one person there, give them the greatest show they've ever seen. Give them the, the content and the value and, and, you know, make them damn glad that they tuned in. That's, that's always been my motto is, is perform the same for one person or a hundred. Yeah. I used to make the mistake when I would have, um, when I was first starting my business and I would have coaching programs that had three or four or five people in them and I would apologize I'd be like, hey, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, I expected more people to be on the call. And finally, like, a good friend of mine says, Amber, you got to stop doing that. And I said, like, what do, you, what do you mean? And she's like, I know that you perceive that in order to be valuable, there needs to be a certain number of people on this call. Do you realize that what you're actually saying is you guys aren't enough? And I'm sorry that there's not more people here. And I'm like, oh, like let me run away. Right. <laughs> like, let me run away. Cause, yeah. but it, but it is, we're like, Hey, I'm sorry. More people um, didn't show up to this dinner party. Well, what you're saying is that the people who came aren't important enough for you. And, so, and it's a horrible reframe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a horrible in a way that I needed it. And also like 
I was limping for a little bit because it hurt so bad. Yeah, it's we can get some very, very deep perspectives and proper perspectives from people sometimes that let us know, hey, instead of looking at it this way or saying this, you know, okay, have you thought about the, the impact and trying it this way instead? Yeah, I love that. What do you think from the PR world, from the um, pitching world, from the um, media relations world that you live in? What do you think is the most underrated thing that people who are not considering um, media at this point in time are missing out on? Like, what is that thing that they don't even know that they should be concerned about? Everyone should have some type of media plan because what happens is a snowball effect. First of all, every media interview, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog, whether it's getting on the news, creates proof of concept. It cements you as an expert. It, it increases your Google rankings. It does, it does all this different stuff. And when you have, first of all, that's important because when people Google you, they want to see you showing up. It, it gives them the warm fuzzy about, hey, I should work with this person. If you Google Rob the Warrior Strategist right now, I'm about two pages. It, it, I'm up to probably 200. This is probably my 208th interview, maybe 215. Um, but that gives people the, the idea like, wow, if this guy can do this, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to work with him. And so the biggest misconception is that you don't need a media plan. Everybody should be pitching their news stations every single week. They should be looking out for podcast interviews and they don't need to get the giant podcasts. They don't need to get, they don't need to ever ask how big is your audience? I hate that question. You and me both. Be because it's the number one thing that people ask when they don't understand how to really, really get visible. And I've had a few people work with me and they're automatically like, hey, I only want to be in Forbes. I only want to be in Fortune. I only want to be, you know, on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, have fun on that waiting list. It's going to be about four years. And if you don't have any other interviews before that, their booker is going to say hard no. Do it like I yeah. do. Slow and steady consistent interviews all the time and just work your way up the ladder slowly. Don't try and buy your way in overnight. The biggest thing is you should have a media plan because it's going to lead to proof of concept. It's going to lead to exposure to new people. It might be that one person that, that sees it, loves it and hires you instantly. You never know. You never know who's going to see mm -hmm. you. And it also, it also just kind of builds your foundation. So I want to talk about the other side of that coin for a minute. So for all of the podcast hosts that are there, because um, I was lucky enough to have a podcast coach that was really great at kind of telling me all the things that were in my head that were going to stop me. And one of the things that we talked about was this audience question. And I was afraid for a long time to reach out to the people that I actually wanted to have on the show because I was afraid they were going to ask me how long I had been doing my show and how big my audience was. And um, there's this amazing video on TikTok right now. I don't know if you've seen it about a comedian talking about being offended. Have you seen this? No. So he talks about, I'll put the link in because it's hilarious. He says, we, we live in a world right now where people don't want to be offended. He's like, be offended. Like nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. Like you, you, you don't die, like be offended. Um, and I feel this way about somebody telling me no for a long time. I was like, Oh, what am I going to do if they tell me? No, like yeah. nothing happens. Right. Like, so, um, for the person who's there, who, um, wants to reach out to some of these bigger names, doesn't have the following or the numbers or the length of time on their show, what advice do you have for them of ways that they may be able to position their show from a place of value? I love this question because, okay, I'm a magazine owner. I started Shift Advanced Life Design. We featured you on the cover, did mm -hmm. a, a really nice article. It's a gorgeous cover, by the way. It's one of my favorites. Um, and in the four years I've done it, Shift has never become a, a behemoth. Like it, it's got, it gets about 800 to 1,000 views every single time an issue comes out. We've got these you know, amazing covers, but it's a very DIY thing. And so um, when somebody asks the question, they come to me and they're like, okay, well, you know, what's your audience demographics? How many views do you have, downloads, all this different stuff? 
I say, I'm just very honest with the numbers. You can expect between this and this, our demographic is mostly entrepreneurs and veterans, but then, and here's where, here's where you can improve that answer ethically and honestly. And I say, we are an independent media company. So we don't, we, we, we have an asymmetrical audience, but we go out, we push out to a 16,000 member veteran uh, Facebook group, which is true. We have a thousand person uh, email list, which gets pushed out. We have influencer partners that share our magazine out. And then you have the, 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 the way, and you got to talk about what differentiates you. Right. And so I have a little bit of reach. Um, I don't like to use the, the I word, you know, influencer, but I, I have some reach. And if I write about somebody, they're going to get point of sale, point of post sales. So if I write about, a, and this has happened, I, I've written about a software company and he had 18 warm leads from a single post alone. So I talk about that. I'm like, when, when you allow me an interview, I'm not only going to feature it in this case, substitute podcast interview, um, but I'm going to write about it on social media. I'm going to send it out to my email list and I'm going to tag people that are your ideal customer base. The people that I know would probably use your services and probably buy from you. So it's more of a partnership with a well-known, very visible uh, veteran, I'll just say celebrity. Uh, that's more important. The actual after effects that create sales is actually more important than the listenership for the podcast. So focus on the effect of creating a sale versus the numbers of your podcast. You can have a podcast with five listeners. That's fine. But guess what? If you're, if your guest comes on and let's say they sell something and you can make three to five sales for them by promoting them, that's gold. They are not going to care about what your audience is. Because audiences are overrated. And what you can remember is that any show or any magazine that has a ginormous audience usually pays for it and is usually not connected, which does not equal sales. Mm. And that's what you have to remember. So sometimes it is better to go with the smaller person who is wildly connected and does have influence over people and can guide people to sales. That's my answer. And I think it's, you said so much that's extremely valuable there. Um, what about sponsorships? So I think this is something that's really interesting for people who have media channels where they either say, I don't know how to build sponsorships or they say, I'm not big enough. Why would anybody want to sponsor me? I have a friend who um, had a company reaching out to her saying, hey, let's um, we think that, you know, you would be a great fit. We want to sponsor um, our product on the show. Can we sit down and talk about it? Um, and will you send us, you know, a proposal of what it looks like to sponsor your show? And she calls me and she's like, I don't know how to tell him no. And I said, why would you tell him no? And she's like, well, my show's not big enough. And I'm like, well, when did, like, when did you decide that? Like, they contacted you, dumbass. Like, so how, <laughs> how, when people are saying, and maybe the answer is just to make a list of, of what you just mentioned, like how other than listenership can this work, but knock, knock free money. <laughs> how, do you, how do we get past that? I don't have enough to offer. Even when somebody is like bulldozing down our door saying, please let me work with you. All right. So that's an internal thing. That's a mindset thing. Um, and it's a confidence thing, to be honest with you. So first of all, a lot of companies, believe it or not, and this goes against traditional thinking, a lot of companies will fling money at you. It's happened to me many times. They, they're just, hey, I love what you do. I love your message, your energy. Uh, I know that you're connected with a lot of veterans. Uh, how, do I, you know, how do I sponsor the magazine or be a part of it, blah, blah, blah. So there's never a perfect time. So that's the first thing I'm going to tell you. There's never a perfect number. There's never a magic number. Oh, when I get 5,000 listeners, I'll be worthy of, of sponsors. No. Uh, the time to get sponsors is today. And this is what you need. Okay. If you're, if whoever's listening is really serious about sponsors, I've made videos about this, instructional videos. This is what you do and how I get sponsors over and over and over again. So the first thing to do, if, if you're nervous about it, you've never made a sponsor package, start off light. Start off with a three-month package for 97 bucks a month. Always have multiple tiers, three tiers of sponsorship, and keep adding to each one. If you're super nervous, the lowest one at 50 bucks or 97 bucks a month, just so you get the feel of it, can just have on-show mentions. It can have some uh, uh, it can have like a custom graphic. 
It can have um, maybe you flow them an interview, you know, whatever. You need to come up with your goodie bag that sponsors receive. And then as the tiers go up, you know, bronze, silver, gold, you start adding things. You start adding digital real estate. Maybe you have a scroll that goes across uh, during your broadcast. If you got, you know, a fancy show, maybe you've got a website where you can tack their banner onto digital real estate is sellable. Okay. Maybe you're doing social media posts as well. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to write four social media posts about you to my audience this month uh, because you're my sponsor. Maybe you, you do an in air, like shout out at the beginning and the end of the show. Maybe actually, if it's a video podcast, you're actually using the product. Mm. Um, And then, Another way you can get sponsors, and this is one that nobody ever thinks of, it's way too outside the box, is what I call other people's talent. If you offer a sponsor and they buy your gold package, you need an arrangement with four other media owners where they will interview, guarantee an interview for that company or they will Mm. shout out or something. And it's just, and have that same agreement where if they have a sponsor, that you'll shout out their sponsor. And so now they've now just bought five times the coverage for a gold package with you and you are the hub. So you can figure out the logistics, the dynamics, the numbers, whatever. If somebody works with me, I can guarantee them three other interviews within five days. And it's just because I have such an amazing network that I've created these, these uh, contacts with. And if you just take the gold package money and you, you send some podcaster, you know, you know, 40 bucks and they're just starting off, they will happily interview anyone you send to them. So it's a matter of leadership it's a matter of understanding resources available to you. And it's a matter of having the courage to just say, I can make this happen and I can create unbelievably time-saving value for a sponsor and expedited coverage just because I'm creative enough to reach out to my network and just ask the question. Yeah, that creativity part of it is is key. I never would have thought of saying, I mean, I have 260 episodes and just over half of those have been interview episodes. I never would, and probably half of those have podcasts. I never would have thought of saying, hey, like what other four people do I know that are looking for interviews right now? Like, and that takes zero effort. That's crazy. And I'll tell you something. It's win-win because once in a while you need to interview celebrities and it's win-win when you can approach a celebrity and say, I've got five interviews waiting. Just, Just let me know. And if you send one of your podcast friends, Sir Richard Branson, I guarantee that they're going to be naming their kids after you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, you know, do you know Steve Sims? Yes, he was. Uh, yes. Steve I think Sims. I've met him once or twice. No, yes. I, 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 actually, so I've never for, met him. But yeah, I know. For those of you who are listening, I forgot before I asked that, that Steve was on the cover of Shift Magazine. Um, he talks about this a little bit in the fact that People are afraid to approach people that they perceive of being higher influence, higher power, um, because they don't know what to say. However, on the other side, people who are in those brackets, who are constantly sought after, are always cautious of people who are coming up to them because they never know whether they want an interview or whether they're going to ask for them to be an angel investor in their next um invention that's going to change the world. So um, (laughs) not that I have any inventors in my family that have been convinced they're going to change the world 97 times. Um, So it's really interesting when people say, and I think this goes to the social media side as well. I'm interested to hear this because we live in a world right now where we're getting like 150 blind messages a day from people who want to get to know us and add value. Right. And so it's almost gotten to the point where when everybody, anybody reaches out and says, Hey, you're really cool. I'd like to connect. We're like, what the hell do you want? Like, why would that even be the case? Exactly. When is it coming? So what's the value of, and how is the appropriate way to reach out to somebody and lay the expectations up front with the reason that you're reaching out without prematurely um, seeming like you don't want to build a relationship? I feel like it's a fine line. Right, right. Uh, without seeming duplicitous. I, I deal with people all the time. And I, I would say 90% of the people I reach out to are cool. And the other 10% are so suspicious. I change my mind. I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> you're, if you're this unpleasant over like three messages, I don't want to interview you anymore. Actually, I have no <laughs> business. Um, so to answer your question, when I, when I reach out, first of all, you have to reach out custom. So no boilerplate. 
uh, write out every pitch personally. And the very first thing should be either a specific compliment or a observation that is complimentary in, in, in nature, complimentary in nature. Um, and then just lay out the proposal and be very plain English about it. And, and if there's no cost, tell them it's no cost. Hey, so a, a sample one, like Mike McCallowitz, I just interviewed New York Times bestselling author, multiple seven figure businesses, whatever. I reached, I've reached out to him. And I, I said, love that you just put whatever at the end of that, like whatever, whatever <laughs> just, it is. He's done everything. I love this guy. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, I, I reached out to him and, and I have to think back to my early days in shift because when I first made this magazine, it was completely DIY. I had zero experience, but I just knew I wanted to interview really smart, famous people. Um, and I'll tell, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack half a second because this is an interesting story. The night, two nights before I decided I was going to do Shift Magazine, John Lee Dumas had this big party in San Diego for some launch. It was, it was his journal or something. And I remember I put a sticky tag on my shirt that said, Rob Garcia, CEO, Shift Magazine. And I went there. It was the most beautiful, good-looking Hollywood-type people I've ever seen in my life. I'm there looking like the bouncer. Um, <laughs> I'm very Larry the Cable Guy-ish if it, on most days, camouflage hat and beat-up jeans. And, and But I had that sticker. And so now everybody's coming up to me. I don't have a magazine. I have an idea I'm going to run with. And clearly, I you know, it took. But I walked into that party two days before I even launched the magazine or the beginnings of it. Everyone was super nice to me. Everyone was like, oh, I want to hear more about your project and blah, blah, blah. And I, I went there just saying I was covering John's event. And then two days later, when I made the first issue, I did. I took the photos and I wrote a, a horribly designed article. Um, but the point was I had the courage to do that because in my heart, I knew I was going to be interviewing celebrities. I knew I was going to be reaching out to rich people but I had to overcome my own fear growing up super poor. And so the point is when you're reaching out to people and you're trying to write that pitch that doesn't sound duplicitous, just be very, be very honest and just give them an observation that lets them know that you're following their work. Hey, I loved your last book. It was incredible. I bought it, it, it whatever. And then just, just flat out, just say, I'd like to, I'd like to interview you on my show um, in the month of whatever. And we can also interview you on two partner shows. There's absolutely no cost. Let me know if this works for you. Thank you so much. That's it. Simple pitch. I like it. Here's a link so you can see a sample episode. I like it. I like the link. What is your opinion on video versus text? Do you feel like videos are more personal or do you feel like they're unnecessary? Videos are very personal, but you have to keep it very short because if somebody's mm. going to click a video, it better be two minutes or under. Yeah. And you better be interesting. You better spit it out quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think, and I know that there's exceptions to every single rule, so I'm going to preface this question with this. Do you think that there is a correlation between a level of perceived success and the willingness and desire to help others succeed? I've seen both. I've, I've seen people that are wildly successful that are always donating causes. They're always, you know, reaching out. They're very generous. I, I work with this guy, Marshall Terran, who's a, a veteran um, uh, angel investor. And he donated to U Ukrainian like Red Cross, like quietly, like he's done all this stuff to help people and he doesn't seek any glory. Then I know other people who are rich beyond God and they, they absolutely complain every time there's a cost <laughs> involved in anything. And I'm like, look, uh, you've made it. You have the the trophy wife and the the amazing life and the tuxedos and the events and you know the 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 Bruce Wayne uh, uh, galas, right? Why are you complaining about paying you know a $500 charitable contribution? What's wrong with you? Oh my gosh, don't get me started on that. I appreciate your answer, and also I golfed in a charity tournament a little bit ago. And somebody that I ran into there was so anti against playing. Like, have you ever golfed in a golf in a charity tournament? I have not. Okay. So they have like different events, sponsor holes. So they have different organizations, sponsor holes. So when you get to the T for a particular hole, they'll be there and they'll be telling you about their product. And like, sometimes they'll have little games that you can play on that hole for a donation to their charity. We're talking 25, 35 bucks, nothing outrageous. Yeah. And this person was so anti-donation 
to any of them. He's like, oh, I don't want to do that because he thought he was on the fucking PGA tour for God's sake. And so he's like, oh, it's going to mess with my game. I'm like, you do know this is a charity tournament, right? Like you don't get to come to the charity tournament without the charity part. Um, and, and so I see that. Um, I also experienced though, that the more, and maybe it has to do with my self-esteem, my level of worth, my authenticity when I'm reaching out to people. But I find that, especially in the entrepreneurial and business owner space, that it is one of the most supportive communities that I've ever been in. And the media space is, is extremely supportive until it's, it's not, and they have an agenda. Um, and so I was just weird. I was just curious what your experience was, were that correlation. I'll tell you. And I, I have a real world story this week that, that kind of emphasizes that. So you're right. The, the, the community, the business owner and entrepreneurial community does come together at times. And they're, they're some of the most amazing people ever. Um, a friend reached out to me on very short notice. She said, Hey, I have a friend that's a single mom. She's a Navy vet. She's a great person. She really needs your help. Uh, she's moving. And within 10 days, is there any way you could tell people or donate some money or something? And I was like, all right. So this is like the third event I've done uh, on behalf of shift magazine. And so I just put the word out in two days. Our goal was like 500 bucks. I reached out to a veteran movie company get some advice. And then I just let people know. And so what I did I offered like 50% off advertising and shift. And I put out three packages, almost like sponsors. And I, we have broken, I can, I can say this cause it's going to come out later, but we broke a thousand dollars. She has no idea. Mm, I, I'm, that's I'm amazing. I'm going to send it like today or tomorrow, but people are still throwing money at me. And so that's the, that's the beauty of the entrepreneurial community because I've done so much stuff for people. They trust me to do the right thing. And if I come to them and say, Hey, let's help this person they know that it's for a good cause that I vetted them and made sure it's legit and that um, it's going to be something good for the community. And if it's a veteran, even better. Yeah, absolutely. I know the, the veterans or um, community is incredibly supportive of, of its own and others. I'm not a veteran and I support them as much as I possibly can. Um, so I, I love that you bring that into it. Um, if people are listening and they're saying, man, um, Rob is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how to get my, um, ideas and message in front of people or to get my platform in front of people with an idea and a message, um, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, they can reach out to my website, which is your next level success.com, or they can find me on Facebook. It's usually where I'm at the most, the most awesome. Times. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So now I want to switch really quickly to the success element of this podcast. I truly believe that the reason that people don't have everything that they want in their life is because they have not taken the time to define what success means. And so I ask every single one of my guests, what does success mean to you? How do you define it for yourself? I go by two words, balance and control. Um, the person that subscribes to the bullshit uh, hustle culture that's working <laughs> 16 hours a day. They, you know, they love Gary V. They're, they're just busy, 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 but not really getting anything done and wondering why they're miserable is not successful. Uh, and, and put the money aside. If you're not enjoying quality of life, if you're not, you know, enriching the lives of others, if you're not, um, if you've grown apart from your children, like all these things, then you're not, really steering towards success. Um, I created my own life. I got out of corporate. I have the time to do the things that I want to do. Um, and I make sure that I'm giving back and I'm paying attention to people around me. And that's why I got into entrepreneurship so that I can, if I want to, I can go get a margarita at lunch. I can walk mm -hmm. over someplace, do what I want to do. I can go to the beach for a fish taco on a Thursday. And I know a lot of people in corporate are just sitting there looking outside their window, wondering where their life is going and they're miserable. They might have a big, bigger house than me, which is fine. Um, but guess what? I'm, I'm at the beach listening to music, uh, splashing my feet in the water, uh, you know, in the, in the afternoon, um, enjoying my life. And yeah. You I and I have talked about this at depth where like, there's, there's a certain trade-off that comes with that. 
in the willingness to step in. And I want to ask this question specifically because you said your definition of success was control. How do you let go of the control when necessary to embrace the fluctuation that comes with this life that we get to create? I just prioritize and I, I, I really work on stress management. That's the biggest thing. At any given time, I'm running three Facebook groups. I'm the director of strategy for the largest independent media company in San Diego. Uh, shout out to IQ Media and Brett Davis. Uh, I run Shift Magazine. I'm an Air Force reservist. And then I have probably four full-time clients. And so in between all that stuff must be stress management, time management, balance, and working on mental state. Because when I had perfect balance, when I was doing really well killing it, I was doing fitness two hours a day. Mm. I would wake up super early in the morning and then I'd lift weights and I'd run and that would, you know, charge up my mind, take a nap in the afternoon. And then I would make sure that at least three times a week I'm going out and doing something fun because weekends, you know, I, I work weekends. I work seven days a week, but some days it's only like three, four hours. It's, it's yeah. fun maintenance. I don't believe balance exists. And I push back when I hear the word balance because, um, I think it's dangerous. Um, and I'm curious to know for you, what does a truly balanced life look like? Um, how And how do you adjust when you're a little bit out of balance, but you're still better than somebody who's not thinking about it at all? It's about reward centers in the brain is how I define balance. And I, I agree in the entrepreneurial world, there is no, there is no perfect balance. I'm never going to be at this point where everything is completely... Uh, it's completely set in stone and, you know, it, it, it's perfect. It, it's never like that. Entrepreneurial ship is just reacting to stuff. But the point is um, I feel balanced myself when I satiate the reward centers in my brain. It means I've exercised enough throughout the week. It means my weight's manageable. It means that I've gotten enough sunshine. It means that I've, I've seen a, a people a couple times throughout the week. Um, Reward centers need to be mandated because it makes you, I mean, obviously it's going to keep you happy. We all have our own ideas of what rewards are. Sometimes it's just taking the dog for a walk and getting 20 minutes to completely turn off your brain. Sometimes it's being outside or going to a festival. Sometimes it's just an hour of video games. You know, we all have our own ideas of what a reward in our, our minds are and just make sure that once in a while you're doing that thing that makes you really happy. I think that's incredible advice and something that, especially when we're doing things we love, um, I know that you love what you do and yet you still get to and need to take that time away from it. And I feel like when we as entrepreneurs are finally doing what we love every single day, it's so easy for us to forget to step away from it. Because we love what we're doing. So I love that that's the advice you gave. Um, before we wrap up today, I would love to end this with a quick random round. Do you have time for a few questions? Sure. Awesome. If you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Um, it would be the profession that the Air Force trained me in that I never used full time. I would be a data links technician for the Air Force. Interesting. That is not what I would have expected. It satiates my, my borderline autism and it is a really smart job. I would feel like a genius going into it. I'm actually trained <laughs> for it. I did it deployed. It was interesting, but that would be my second career because it starts off at like a buck 40, you know, 140,000 a year starting. I'm just like, wow. That would be <laughs> incredible. I feel like um, I see you as like um, the person who wants to like run around and jump off cliffs and blow shit up. And like, like I would have expected some like superhero comment from you. I'm not a thrill seeker. Um, really? I, I interview a lot of thrill seekers. I've interviewed Delta force and Rangers and green berets, legit badasses. Um, yeah. They're, I, they're something else. They have yeah, a switch in their brain that makes them not even like human. I don't want to jump out of planes. Uh, I get vertigo and I really, um, I joined the air force so that I can defend people, not attack mm. them. Nothing against the, those guys like that, that. We need that. That's a great yeah. thing to, to be. It's amazing. It's just not my personality. I love it. I feel bad. If, <laughs> if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, my God. Uh, if I could time travel, I would go back to 
Victorian England in the 1800s, like the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle days, just to check it out, just to see how it would be like, um, you know, the food and the experience and the, you know, what, what it would be like back then. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you ever go to Renaissance fairs? I don't, but I did play Dungeons and Dragons as a little kid. I got a lot of nerds. <laughs> I can see that. Um, we are both nerds. I was um, not a sports person, and I was on the math and debate competition team in high school. So um, nerds can unite. <laughs> um, all right. Books. Um, what book have you recommended the most, or do you think that every new business owner or entrepreneur needs to read? Um, it is called Breaking Buds, How Everyday Men Become Navy Seals. Mm. And the reason I'm recommending it, you see it's on the bookshelf. Uh, I, I read it a few times a year, and it's not so much for people that want to actually be a Navy SEAL. It's for people that want to perform like Navy SEALs. And it, it's, it's an officer who went through the program just outlining a lot of the mental philosophies, um, and many of them. Uh, apply to business in the sense that he talks about what what to do when you feel overwhelmed in the buds program. Um, understanding that people's you don't have to listen to everybody. You know everybody's going to have an opinion, and many of them are stupid. Um, and de determination of self, which is something I've always talked about for for decades, um, is that we are the number one contributor to our futures. And determination of self means you know your destiny, you know what you're going to do. Nobody is going to alter that. Nothing is going to stand in your way. Determination itself is huge. Yeah, uh, I so agree with you. Especially in this field, anybody who chooses to step out and do something on their own instead of fall into the nine to five that um, our society seems to... Um, seems to love to embrace um, needs to be ready for a bunch of people who don't understand what they're doing. So, um, my last question, I'm a huge music nerd. I need to know what needs to be added to my playlist. What is your pump up song? National Anthem by Lana Del Rey, but a dance mix of it. Not, not the regular one. Okay. Okay. I can see the dance mix side. I was like, man, that's a downer. Yeah. But no, the dance mix I could see. Rob, I have actually, excuse me, I have absolutely loved our time together today. Um, I appreciate all the insight that you've given everybody about um, PR and media and kind of getting out of our head when it comes to the size of our audience and being able to really connect with others. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah, thank you, Amber. I had an amazing time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.